From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, July 5th. The recent discoveries of two mass graves containing the remains of hundreds of indigenous children in Canada has disturbed both our northern neighbor and the U.S. Interior Secretary. Deb Holland recently announced the launch of a new effort to investigate the loss of human life and lasting impact of former federal Indian boarding schools, which aimed to strip indigenous children of their native languages and culture. Kyle Mackey of KHOL Jackson discussed generational trauma with Superintendent Frank Norunner of St. Stephen's Indian School, a former boarding school located on Wyoming's Wind River Indian Reservation. Superintendent Frank Norunner, thank you so much for joining us today on KHOL. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a bit about the St. Stephen's Indian School on the Wind River Reservation? Well, St. Stephen's Indian School is a BIE tribally controlled grant school. And it works with both the Northern Arapaho tribe and the Eastern Shoshone tribe rotating every other year. And we have currently serve about anywhere from 250 to 260 kids, all tribally enrolled kids. It's about 99% Native American. Um, and it was a boarding school. And um, so they finally became a high, I think they got their high school in uh, the 50s or 60s, I believe. And um, in 1975, the mission finally gave the the school back to the tribe. Obviously, this is something that is hugely important and um, a lasting legacy among you know indigenous communities. This legacy of boarding schools, but for many of our non-indigenous listeners who might not be so familiar, can you tell us a bit about that and what the purpose well, you know and the the function of these schools was? I'll just tell you a personal experience first. I'll start off with that. I was raised by my late grandmother and also my late great uncle. As a little kid on Saturday mornings, we would um, wake up, you know, to the smell of breakfast and you'd wake up to hear them speaking our Blackfeet language. And, you know, sometimes as a kid, you lay there, you're half asleep and you can still hear them talking their native language. You don't understand it, but you know, it's, it's a part of who we are. Uh, but once those kids would get up, uh, they would stop. And they would just start talking English. And so when I got older, I finally asked my grandmother, I'm like, how come you guys never teach us your language? And that old man that lived with us and also my grandpa, they instructed their kids not to teach them our Blackfeet language and culture because of what happened in the boarding schools to them with their experiences. So they didn't want what they, the trauma that they they experienced in that boarding school I mean, basically train them, I would like to say, or put fear in them that they would not want us to learn that because we were still going to schools in the 80s. And I think at that time, uh, some of the teachers, I mean, the principal still had a paddle in some some of those schools. And um, so they just didn't want us to do that. So they never they never taught us that. And so I grew up not knowing my language and not knowing a lot of my culture. And um, as a 40-year-old man, I'm finally taking interest in, interest in it. And I'm trying to learn much Indigenous methodologies as I can about not only my culture, but also the Native culture in general. Okay, so, you know, sadly, we're speaking today because over the last several weeks, there have been these horrendous discoveries of 
huge unmarked mass graves of Indian children on the site of former residential schools in two different Canadian provinces. And then there's also been this commitment by Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. I wonder as, you know, as a Native educator and superintendent, what it's been like seeing this news and, you know, how you're moving forward, um, you know, with this with this new commitment from the U.S. government, at least. Well, you know, being a doctoral student, there's a big debate going on in the United States right now about critical race theory. And uh, one of the critical race theories that I'm currently uh, looking at studying in my dissertation is tribal critical race theory. And that's what looks at these injustices that happen in the past to the minority people. Um, I don't think it can be forgotten. I think it should be taught. You know, I've heard professors and also other Native American leaders basically say that uh, we should, that historical trauma happened and we as Native people should try to move past it, move forward. But I think before we can do that, I think that healing needs to take place. And just the understanding of our history of what happened to our indigenous peoples, because like the boarding school trauma really affected my life. And I really wish that I could uh, be a fluent Blackfeet speaker today. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Uh, I I was happy to be here. Superintendent Frank No-Runner of St. Stephen's Indian School on Wyoming's Wind River Indian Reservation. This interview comes from our partners at KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. An off-roading advocacy group is warning campers about road closures on public lands. The move is a response to ongoing travel management planning in Utah. KUER's Kate Kretzinger has more. The Bureau of Land Management recently completed a travel management plan for Canyon Rim's recreation area. It will close around 50 miles of road within the 91,000-acre area in San Juan County. Ben Burr is with the Blue Ribbon Coalition, an off-road advocacy group. The dispersed camping, overlanding, rooftop tent, Subaru, van life people, that's who got hurt the most, and they don't even know it. But the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance says the road closures are necessary to protect wildlife and vegetation. Laura Peterson is with the conservation group and argues it won't heavily impact campers. There are still 200 plus miles of routes within the Canyon Rims TMA and thousands of miles of routes in Southern Utah on BLM managed lands where there's room for dispersed camping. The Blue Ribbon Coalition has appealed the BLM's decision to close routes in the Canyon Rims travel management area. Kate Gretzinger, KUER News. This report comes from our partners at KUER. In a landmark decision, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld a pair of Arizona voter security laws that many experts believe will suppress votes in the next election. That has some voting rights groups here in Utah concerned. Mark Richardson from the Public News Service reports. In a 6-3 to three conservative liberal split, the justices upheld Arizona laws requiring voters to cast a ballot only in their assigned precinct and make it illegal to collect ballots and drop them off at an elections office. 
and Utah voting rights advocates are concerned it could pave the way for changes even though they see the state's election system as fair and efficient. Josh Sellers, law professor at Arizona State University, agrees the decision could embolden other legislatures to adopt laws aimed at voter suppression. There are these laws at issue in this case, but there's all the other prospective laws that are on the horizon. So we have to kind of wait and see what other laws are implemented before the next election. But there's certainly the possibility that these laws threaten to, I think, decrease voter turnout. And that concerns me. Sellers, who teaches voting rights law, says lower courts ruled that the Arizona laws appeared to be aimed at making voting more difficult for people of color. Republicans say their goal in passing the stricter laws is to make sure elections are secure. Katie Matheson, with Alliance for a Better Utah, believes the state already has one of the better voting systems in the country, but is concerned that some lawmakers may be tempted to tinker with it. We do know that there are some lawmakers, but we're keeping a close eye, who we're worried may want to implement more voting restrictions as time goes on, as they see their colleagues in other states around the country uh, implement voting restrictions. Sellers adds it's now up to Congress to pass a voting rights bill to establish basic election rules. There is a bill that's under consideration named after the late Congressman John Lewis. That would restore the pre-clearance regime that used to be in effect. That would require states to get pre-approval before enacting voting laws and regulations. Since the November election, more than a dozen states have passed laws that restrict voter access to the polls. Sellers believes many will be challenged in the courts before the 2022 election, but this ruling will make those cases harder to win. I'm Mark Richardson. That report comes from our partners at the Public News Service. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, July 5th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.